Welcome to Open Minds UFO Radio. I am your host, Alejandro Rojas, and I have with me um, a very interesting gentleman here. He he joins me for the news. His name is Martin Hungry Man Willis. Hello, Martin. That's right. I'm always hungry. You yeah. can tell. I yeah. know, because we're about to record, and you're like, I got to eat Yeah. something. Oh, well, you know. Yeah. What did you eat? Do you just, like, go out and... Catch a no, squirrel. no, I had this. Uh, you'd be proud of me. It's uh, this like organic type of uh, mm. spinach uh, pasta that's made out of totally out of spinach and tasted awful. <laughs> Did it that really? It. Yeah. Is yeah. it bad? I've never tried that stuff. I've seen it, but this particular one was bad, and I don't think oh. I'd buy the same brand or recommend Ooh. it. Actually, what was the name of the brand? I have no idea. It was oh, Whole really? Foods deal so yeah Yeah, okay well i apologize for that um but (laughs) i applaud you for uh eating vegetarian it sounds like yes well you know it was a sign last night when a bear attacked my um gas grill you're kidding no uh he kind of tore it apart a little bit but it's wow all went back together yeah we have a resident bear he's like how dare you try to cook up my fellow animal brothers yeah. and sisters that's what it is yeah wow well i applied the bear as well then <laughs> all right way to stand up for your people you know it's yeah a, for sure yeah. it's his version of uh sitting down or kneeling during the uh national anthem right is attacking right. your uh your because uh, it, it's a kind of a national sign you know doing barbecues it's it, it's an american thing and he's like america needs to respect our critters because they are important citizens as well yeah well uh we actually feed the animals up here there's mm-hmm. lots of them there's fox lots of fox do you say foxes lots of foxes foxy uh, ladies oh, oh yeah not here oh, okay. no, um yeah we're kind of remote here on top of the mountain squirrels have been attacked by many squirrels uh birds uh the place is just packed full of animals all the time raccoons and stuff and uh okay. they all are pretty round they get fed very well oh good yeah all right well everybody thank you for joining us for animal hour animal talk here on <laughs> now yes. actually ufos you're supposed to t- be talking oh. about ufo news oh martin geez. but yeah. here let mm. me kind of prime the pump here uh my guests for today are uh, i should call them tony and ben the zamora brothers i told you that earlier and i like that title yeah uh, it is because um tony angiola and ben moss uh they work with uh, mufon virginia and we'll talk about that in just a little bit here they uh have been doing a lot of work with ray stanford and uh to talk about um the zamora case ray has done 
the most research when it comes to the Lonnie Zamora case, as as you'll hear from these gentlemen coming up here. And uh, Tony and Ben have have worked with him, and they're now you know working on getting this information out. They spoke about this topic at the MUFON Symposium, and they've got just so much. And you know, it's an important case. I know some of the surface stuff, uh, and people kind of ask me about it quite a bit, but. Uh, you know, these guys know so much. Oh, my gosh. Just tons, tons more. There's so much more to the case than even I ever imagined. I still don't even know a fraction of everything to do with the case. Uh, it seems like we touch on a lot, but we'll have them back to touch on more. And I need to do like you did and get out to uh, Ray's house to actually see some of this stuff. Oh, it's well worth it. And uh, there's just so much information Ray has. He's He's pretty amazing. And, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I really like Tony and uh, Ben. They actually joined me there. And mm. uh, they're just a lot of fun, both yeah. of those guys. But they really are diving deeply into that topic and the subjects. As a matter of fact, um, when I was out in Arizona last year at the conference, they stopped at Insecore itself to see if they could get any find any paper uh, work, a microfiche film in the – in the uh, newspapers and stuff more they're just trying to get more and more information at this point but ray sure had it down pat had a lot of uh, uh i'm trying to remember the name it was uh the something about the pentagon pantry socorro uh saucer or something like that a great book by ray stanford i know i got it all backwards mm -hmm. but it's a good book yep they can look up his name and we'll be talking about that more in just a minute so a lot of fun so it's great and we'll be talking about that soon but before we do that we'll get into some ufo news and you just came back from a virtual press conference well way. yes uh, this doesn't really have anything to do with ufos but uh, there has been a lot of speculation ever since uh, nasa announced last week that they were doing a live uh, teleconference um uh, today monday and uh, so I listened in, and of course, uh, the UK tabloids were speculating, and other uh, news um, agencies were speculating that it was going to be about life on Europa, because, you know, NASA's done this a number of times before. Mm -hmm. they, they make it so seem like it's going to be a major announcement, and, uh, you know, people start to speculate that it's uh, life that they're finding, and... Uh, uh, the first person that spoke, William Spar no, I'm sorry, Paul, um, what is his name? Um, Paul Hertz. He was the, uh, he's the director of the astrophysics division at NASA. And uh, he spoke first and he said right off the bat, nothing to do with life. <laughs> so um, hmm. uh, that was like, uh, you know, uh, I was pretty excited because I, you know, I was kind of going along with all what the media was saying that this could be some type of sign of life. What it is is um, the Hubble um, observation of uh, Europa has just more solid evidence that there is actually uh, plumes of water that may uh, consist of uh, saline. So, like for instance, uh, it it could be like plumes of water going out into the atmosphere. And the breaking news of this is if they ever do get a probe to land on Europa, then it may not have to go through, drill through all the ice. And there may be access right through these uh, plumes. And mm -hmm. uh, so they 
uh, they looked at this through the Space Telescope Imaging Spectrograph, which is uh, 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 the acronym is uh, STIS, I think it is, something like that. But anyway, uh, so they, they made it, they, they were pretty, they made it sound exciting, but to the layperson such as myself, it wasn't all that exciting. <laughs> yeah, because um, I guess they, uh, people speculated that these guys are existing existed but they didn't find proof they thought oh they definitely do and then they thought oh maybe not um and then they thought that you know if there were these geysers um there's it will we could prove there's water and we'll be able to examine them and also probably possibly you know uh get closer to finding life so everybody was so excited and they were going all the way oh maybe they found some sort of evidence for life but they i guess it they barely found evidence for the geysers i mean their yeah. existence still in question it would they just a stronger possibility that there are geysers that's all this is and by the way this is back in 2014 so they really oh, take really? their time when they come out with something yeah yeah that's right and so william sparks um was the gentleman that uh stressed that this new find does not prove the existence of plumes it just provides evidence that they may be present Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like a, you know, wasn't really that exciting. Yeah. And, you, you know, I've said this before in my show that uh, we always think about uh, planets that may harbor life throughout the universe, but also not just planets, but also moons could as well. I mean, there's no reason why a moon can't harbor some type of life. Yeah. Well, and it goes to show, I guess, uh, and unfortunately, uh you probably, you know, you would agree that that if the daily, if the tabloids, the UK tabloids, are touting some big news or or making some lofty claims, that most likely it's just not the case. Yeah, that's true. Bad it, info, but yeah, though, still, the hope is there and the excitement is there, and it shows just how exciting and mainstream the search for life uh, in space has become because people are so excited about the possibility of these under, uh, the, well, they're under ice sheets, these vast mm -hmm. oceans to have some sort of, what if they have space whales or something? That's right. It's amazing. Or like jellyfish type things or, or who knows. They very um, well could. Yep. Did you and see they, the movie Europa Report, by the way? I think I did about... Great movie. Yeah, I believe I did, mm -hmm. yes. Kind of about um, this topic. Yeah, right. Um, and I think one thing they did stress also is that there's activity everywhere on Europa. That's kind of mm -hmm. a, like another oh, another thing that they came up with, which would mean that the ocean is uh, throughout uh, overall the entire planet. Wow. Uh, under the ice, that mm -hmm. is. Yeah. Under the sea. <laughs> wow, that is pretty cool. That's very yeah. exciting. So I'm, I'm still excited about it. It was a non-story, but I'm going to take the uh, the happy route, the Pollyanna kind of attitude, and say this is – I'm still excited. Yeah. Uh, just one more thing. The, okay. Uh, they were – they were asked. They had some call-ins afterwards, and it was mm -hmm. uh, you know different uh, people called in from the press and stuff like that. And um, one of them asked about the Hubble and when the James Webb satellite is launched in 2018, if that's going to be better. And uh, supposedly that 
they should actually be able to see a lot. I'm pretty excited when that thing gets launched because mm. they'll really be able to see a lot more uh, things everywhere. Cool. Yeah, that'll be great. Yeah, awesome. Okay, well, thank you for that. Um, some interesting stuff. Now, I have a little bit of an update from a story, uh, a news story that we talked about on your show. Oh, okay. So if you remember, I was talking about a UFO video over Florida, or I'm sorry, over New York, between yeah. the towns of Florida and Goshen. Some guy replied. Except you and, called it Gosh or something. Well, yeah. that's how it was spelt in the story. It was a, it was a misspelling. Um, oh. So we were saying Gosh or Gosh, and some guys like neither guys. It's it's Goshen. <laughs> so sorry about that. It's Goshen. But there's even more updates. So it's this weird cylindrical light. You know, it's being seen at about nine, uh, between nine and ten p.m. Um, just this weird light. Uh, being recorded on September 16th. And there is, now the witness scissors, it's just a solid light. There's no blinking. But you can see in the video a little blinking light on the bottom. Well, you know, commenters have gone at it, and uh, there's videos out there of blimps that do have, uh, are illuminated from the inside and have a, a light. They have a light under their carriage that looks very similar. However, this video, in this video, there's like a notch down right. there above mm -hmm. the blinking light, this big notch. Well, someone else posted a picture of uh, these balloons that have these big electronic signs on the side of them. And, uh, you know, you people might have seen those. Well, when those signs are off, they're just a solid black. And there's plenty of pictures of these balloons uh, even in New York with the, the lights off and it's just a black rectangle just above the carriage. So that really fits this story. I think that, um, you know, these guys have figured it out. Seems that's what we got here. Wow. This is just as exciting as the plumes on Europa. Uh, yeah, just as much of a downer. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, yeah. There's but it's good to know. Mm -hmm. It's, you know. It's always good when they're figured out. I was yeah. wondering if it was a drone myself. Mm -hmm. Now, it looks like it's – I in the comments of the story, you'll see some people commented, but I also posted links, uh, some of the most convincing links that people sent us on, on social media so you can see what I'm talking about. And, uh, you know, given those links and the photos and videos in those links, I think it's – you know, it seems pretty solid that that's – what it is so, but people can take a look and, and see what they think um yeah then another sighting now this one i guess they're having problems some little inside info i guess they're having a little bit of problems getting a hold of the witness but this is a guy in colorado and on september 19th he says that he saw a ball of light being chased by three black helicopters hmm yeah, he said wow. that um, he was standing in his driveway when he saw it, um, this white orb going over the rooftops and over the trees. He said it, and then not far behind it were three black helicopters in a triangular pattern. He said the craft made a left turn towards the mountains, and um, he saw one of the craft then kind of intercept it and get in front of the the 
one of the helicopters get in front of the orb, um, but then you know they were the rooftops got in the way and he couldn't see anymore. Oh, well, at that angle, it must be awful hard to tell for sure. Yeah, things you know overcoming something else. Yeah, this was near Colorado Springs, not too far from where NORAD is, Cheyenne Mountain. Um, so if people remember, see, the kids aren't going to remember this, but the, the movie War Games, because I was just a kid. Oh, yeah. When War mm. Games came out, you were probably... Uh, old. Yeah. No, you were probably, probably like old. a teenager. Yeah. You weren't old yet, right? Uh, I'm older than Matthew Broderick. You are. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so you were <laughs> older than I was. But, uh, yeah, I was still old enough to see the movie War Games. But, anyways, people can go look at War Games or Cheyenne Mountain if you don't know what it is. But it's this essentially hollowed-out mountain where they have uh, North American radar defense, which people should know about NORAD because if you watched my video or you saw my lecture at MoveMon or or if you saw some of our stories that John from John Greenwald and others um, – NORAD was essentially the group that was officially taking UFO reports for a period of time. So, and we'll be writing more about that. And in our next UFO magazine um, uh, piece that we'll put on YouTube in a few weeks, we'll get more into that as well. But uh, yeah, an interesting story. Yeah, I really enjoyed. I know we talked about it last week, but I really, in, I'm glad you're doing this magazine uh, online. It's really great. Thank you. Thank you very much. I look forward to the next one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of fun. You know, it's always fun to highlight the research, the great research that's been done out there, but to kind of put it together in a consumable way so people can kind of understand the state of affairs. Because when you peel everything down, you know, some people might get frustrated because we're not talking about abduction or any of these other wild and crazy things that supposedly happen and that some people believe is happening and that's all they think about. Oh, I don't want to talk about UFOs. We know that the Zeta Reticular are are here, and you know I was talking to him last mm. night. Um, despite all of that, if you look at what we know officially, if you look at the official record, which gets so muddled up and all of this other stuff, mm. I think that when you tell the official story, it's extremely compelling, and it mm. demonstrates that the Air Force uh, there were. Plenty of Air Force personnel who felt that not only that was this a legitimate phenomena, that it could be extraterrestrial in nature. That's right. Mm -hmm. You know, this was Air Force astronomers. They're the ones who started all this, not us goofballs like you and me out here doing it now. I think what the the issue is, is that they they just got so far with it and then just um, like realize it wasn't a threat and I'll move on type of thing. Yeah, In I think words, that's a lot of it. Keep... Yeah, it must have something to do with it. I think you're right. I mean, if we look at Chile, um, they have been investigating UFOs, a very transparent organization, uh, their mm -hmm. government organization, uh, looking at UFOs. I talked about them also when I talked about government UFO cases at MUFON, but you know, we've done a lot of interviews with uh, them. You've done interviews with the Chilean group, CEFAA. And mm -hmm. that's kind of where they've gotten. They ha they've they looked at cases. They've admitted these cases are mysterious. They're so willing to go so far as to say, we don't know what these are. Um, there's many possibilities, including the possibility of extraterrestrials. 
and that um, uh, however they have not demonstrated a threat uh, they they had a mm-hmm. large meeting with many of their officials from many branches of the government where they literally sat down and analyzed the situation, and that was their outcome. They even did a press conference where they said, we decided in our committee that they do not demonstrate a threat. In fact, the biggest threat that they said uh, it has to their pilots is when they see something strange like this and they're distracted um, by mm-hmm. you know looking at the object or kind of freaked out by it. Um, so... I think you're right, you know, and and even for them, where can they go from here? And uh, General Bermudez, who was at the UFO Congress, uh, the guy in charge of CEPA'a, he said, you know, in his speech at at our conference, that he thinks the next step is really an international organization such as the UN needs to take the lead. I sure hope that uh, something happens with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, cool, huh? That. Uh, yeah, that more countries join together and take it seriously, that would be yeah. great. And, you know, as uh, Leslie uh, Kane has said a number of times, it wouldn't be that much money to appropriate for something like that. You know, just have a few people, mm-hmm. uh, you know, scientists and people that will take, the, you know, work on the subject funded by our government. And, and, but I just don't see that happening, mm-hmm. unfortunately. You know, and, and you know, not to keep plugging this, but, uh, I mean, my MUFON symposium talk, because um, that's what I talked about was government agencies. And the great thing is now we have, through these other governments uh, who have these agencies currently existing, we have different models for where those agencies can exist, either in the Air Force, like uh, some countries, I think like Argentina or Uruguay, or you could have it in the FAA, like Chile, or mm-hmm. you can have it in the space agency, um, like the, the the civilian space agency, uh, like NASA, which is similar to what France does, or right. even uh, and actually, in I believe it is Uruguay, they actually the branch of the Air Force they have it in is like their space command, and some people may not realize we do have an Air Force space command. And uh, the equivalent down there is where they have that organization. And um, and what we'll get into on our next um, Open Minds magazine is that there have actually been organizations inside of these agencies in the United States that have investigated UFOs. Not necessarily NASA. Uh, there's no evidence of that. Um, I have not seen anything compelling. There's some anecdotal information that is pretty wild, but uh, not really strong, I I feel. Um, But there is on the record, and we'll get into this, uh, there were secret, essentially, investigations in some of these groups. So uh, it's just Mm -hmm. they were secret, not above board like these other countries. So exciting. It is. Yes, sir. Exciting world. This is kind of exciting, too, and I'm really glad to see the positive um, input. Uh, The last story I want to talk about, did you happen to see the video we posted on Friday of Coquillac, Mexico? Uh, The uh, strange-looking thing with all the things hanging off of it? Yeah, isn't that weird? Yeah, I didn't see it. (laughs) (laughs) Cute. Yeah, what? Like a another 
someone has mentioned before, there's like jellyfish type mm-hmm. looking things that people can't explain. Yeah. So this was. Uh, what's cool about this too is that we're going into our archives. We have a photo archive. Uh, most what? of it we got from uh, Wendell Stevens, who is in the Air Force for decades investigating UFOs for many years. And, um, you know, we're posting all this stuff. People have asked, what are you doing with the records? Well, we put it online. We have tons of it in our magazine, and we have tons of it on our website and our YouTube. And we're still taking these photographs and posting them online along with the information we have about them. So Michael Klein is doing that, our our video guy. And these are some pictures from Cocayoke, Mexico, um, taken on November 3rd, 1973. Four people allegedly witnessed these. Uh, They were traveling to Mexico City when, uh, you know, a woman saw this at first. She pointed it out to her husband and everybody. At first, they thought it looked like a helicopter. They pulled over to look at it, um, and the gentleman took a couple pictures. He had a nice camera. Then he zoomed in with a telephoto lens. Um, He switched his lenses and got some more pictures. But it's this weird round thing that is almost, um, you know, hot air balloon shaped uh kind of mm-hmm. tear shaped like that you know an inverted tear shape or something but with these weird tentacles around the edge and you would think maybe that's what it is but there is no carriage under it um so it's really weird uh that's it for is sure. now you will you know the only thing you could think of if something for like a parade or something got away but uh you know, did it just float there? Are you aware of that? I guess it floated. It came down and landed. Uh, they they thought it went over a hill and it seemed like it landed. They said there was a bridge on the other side of the object from them with some children on it. And they freaked out and they took off. Mm. Wow. So, so yeah. this thing was actually moving then. Yeah. 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 How about that? So there is a special uh, a guy in, uh, who worked for a Kodak in Mexico that analyzed it, and he said, you know, this isn't uh, any sort of manipulation of the film or anything as far as mm. uh, uh, faking. So it was something that was out there. Maybe it was some sort of balloon. I don't know that was landing, but it's really weird. And uh, others, I, d- I didn't realize, you know, it's fun that we still have these pictures that aren't well known out there. Or, um, but it, it, yeah, really, really weird case. Yeah. Yep. So check that out. What's fun with these videos too, is we post them to Twitter. So they play on the Twitter feed. You push the play, you know, there's Twitter does oh. videos now and we post them on Facebook as videos as well. And of course on our YouTube and on our webpage. So, uh, it's a lot of fun to have these multimedia pieces in our, um, social media. Right. Yeah, actually, going back to 73, too, is less mm-hmm. things you have to worry about, like no CGI exactly, or anything like that. Yeah, and that's the same with all of these pictures we're posting like these in these small videos, is they do not have, you know, this is prior to Photoshop and all of that. In uh-huh. fact, this one, um, I was in diapers when this sighting took place. <laughs> okay. And you were Just there? Just to add that. No? 1973. Yeah. No. No, I well, wasn't there, but um, okay. in spirit, maybe. I don't think I was there. Yeah. Um, hmm. Who knows? I could have been aboard the craft cruising around, and these are memories I no longer uh, Yeah, you have. were abducted. Really I was so tiny. I was, I was only a few months old at that point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. 
Yeah. Hell, you were uh, old by then too, huh? Yeah, I was. Uh, I was a freshman in high school. Were you really? Wow. Wow. Stop doing the math. Yeah. <laughs> no math, people. Math is bad. Well, uh, that's it for me. You got any other news there, hungry boy? No, I think I'm um, think I'm pretty much uh, expelled like a plume out of Europa. <laughs> okay, great. Yeah. Uh, that's that's a good way to wrap things up and bring things full circle. That's right. Yeah. Well, thank you, uh, Mr. Martin, for being on the show again. Yes, you're very welcome, and I'll see you next week. Yep, thanks. We'll talk to you next week, and let's go ahead and talk to the Zamora brothers. I am very excited to have to the show, for the first time, surprisingly, this is one of those where it's like, you know, someone I've known for, or some ones I've known for a while, and for some reason haven't gotten around to have you on the show, but I'm super excited to have you now. But I've got Tony Angiola and Ben Moss. How you guys doing? Great. Great, man. Good. Thanks Good to us. talk to you. So it was a lot of fun to see you guys yet again. Luckily, I get to see you uh, fairly often, but uh, at the Move On Symposium recently, you guys did a great job with your talk. Oh, thanks. You had the time to catch it because we were so busy. We missed almost all the others. <laughs> I know. You know, I intended to try to get to most, if not all of them, and I got to very few. But luckily, I got to the majority of yours. I think I came in a little late uh, for some reason. But uh, luckily, I got to um, see the whole, most of the whole thing. So it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. It was great to see, and I guess we should start off a little bit with a, because um, uh, we'll be talking a lot about him, is Ray uh, Sanford, that your videos of him, um, because a lot of what we'll be talking about is the Socorro New Mexico sighting, and he's done pretty much, I mean, hands down, I think you guys would probably agree, the best uh, work on that. Yeah, when we met Ray a couple years ago, he he made sure to uh, inform us that he did the most work on it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's Stanford uh, with a T. Oh, okay. Yeah, he uh, in the journal article we wrote, the search for the Los Socorro footage, he reached out to Jan when he heard we were looking for it, and Jan Harzon, the CEO of MUFON, put him in touch with us, and it turned out he lives like 45 miles from us. Oh, cool. So you've probably got to get out there quite a bit. Yeah, needless to say, we spent about over 200 hours with him, uh, numerous uh, lunches. We got to learn about his favorite foods and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and the treasure trove that he has in his house, which is full of not only dinosaur fossils and uh, meteorites. and meteorites, but also tons of uh, old UFO evidence from rocks uh, that, that came from Socorro to old photographs that many people have never even seen before, mm-hmm. a library of books, um, a lot of them covered in dust because he's read them so long ago, they just you know put them away. And uh, on his third floor, he has his old magnetometer from the 1970s that he used with his PSI group when they did a lot of uh, instrumented studies of UFOs, which you can also talk about that as well. Mm-hmm. There were uh, a lot of great talks at the symposium. Um, ones that I liked a lot, but maybe probably the highlight during a lecture uh, might have been for me when you guys played the video of Ray being interviewed by Alan Hynek uh, a long time, J. Allen Hynek, uh, a long time ago, closer to when the event happened. 
Because, well, for many reasons. First of all, Sakura is such an important case. Heineck is such an important person. And then to see this old footage that harkened back to that time, I kind of got goosebumps. I loved that. Yeah, Ray, um, he, he had given us permission to show very small clips, and that's what we showed, I think, 64 seconds altogether. But the pertinent piece was the confirmation of the of the film and the fact, you know, Ray's the only living person that was actually on site, you know, with NICAP uh, invited, um, cleared by Dr. Heineck. Nobody wanted him down on the site, but he's he's still got all his notes and everything. He's very meticulous in keeping all these things, and he um, he gave us a copy of the Heineck interview, which is actually closer to an hour long, and, and shows Heineck at his site. Um, you know, there's a battle going on with supposedly the new st- instrumented study of UFOs, but Ray was doing this in the 70s, and, and you know, he, he actually hit a UFO with a laser on the authority of the Air Force. So hmm. that's just the tip of the iceberg of all these stories we know about that Ray has been doing for the last 60, 50 years. Not mm-hmm. to mention he has a photograph uh, depicting the uh, the laser that he hit. You, you can actually see it, how it's bending around the, the target. And uh, there's wow. a light reflection coming off that target that's reflected on the fence post from where he's shooting uh, the object. And he points out that the moon is on the other side. So it can't be the moon, and there's no other external source of light, which is interesting. Yeah, he was able – He, the Air Force and him had a good relationship. They told him to call – they usually knew when a UFO was near him because when he called about this UFO, they go, oh, yeah, the the black orb that's right over you right now – and Ray asked him if he could hit it with a laser, and they said, go ahead. And it just bends this laser right around it like it has some kind of field around it. And uh, he actually was able to call and scramble a jet if he had an object wow. that was he was witnessing. So, so guy. he uh, um, hasn't shared this, right? You guys have seen it, but it's not like public. He's talked about it, and mm-hmm. we're allowed to talk about it. The uh, actual – yeah, the actual photograph. I think he's willing to share that. Um, yeah, you, you have to you have to be cleared to visit his house. He's invited a lot of people that yeah. haven't come out. I'm not going to harp on that. But, you know, he, he just doesn't want the info released in a way that he's not able to discuss it. And that's why we were never able to bring uh, – because we don't have a copy of the photo. But, um, you know, he, these are things he's willing to share. If you come visit him at his house, like uh, James Fox has done and Chris O'Brien has done, and several Goddard scientists have done. So, you know, there's just a treasure trove over yeah. there. And he's getting old. Um, he's not in the best of health, but he's still, you know, he'll talk for 14 hours and we'll be worn out. And he's still going strong. So, yeah. I'll get out there one day. He's invited me. He won't even do an interview uh, without me getting out there first. Um, it's worth it. I, it's I'm worth sure it. it is. I know it will be. I know it'll be one of those moments that I, I know I will have no regrets. But uh, with everything else going on, you know, uh, I definitely on my list, uh, my to do list. Um, but I do want to talk about uh, oh, a couple more questions, real quick, actually, regarding this. Uh, who in the Air Force was this during the Blue Book times that they he would have this sort of access, or even afterwards? It was right after Blue Book, but he it was the early 70s, I believe. Yeah, I mm-hmm. don't recall off the top of my head the name of the person, the commander that he was speaking to. Uh, we just know that, that he had clearance, a direct line, 
uh, to the base, and he could scramble a fighter. And he probably has a recordings of this, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, he was well known. They would used to send reports to him. Um, he had a very sophisticated. Somewhere. When they came over, they actually came over to see his um, PSI out in uh, was it Texas? Mm-hmm. He had a laser attached to a high end camera, and they said, "Man, your computer equipment is is better than ours," because he had gotten like two million dollar in grant money to fund this whole thing. So he had wow. state of the art equipment to, uh, to and he's you know got this on magnetic tapes when he hit the laser he has it was sending information and getting information so it's just very interesting stuff. you know Alejandro I'll tell you what he's the only person I've ever met that can say he's been doing this full-time since the age of 15 Wow <laughs> yeah know? that's amazing yeah I mean I don't know many people that can say they they you know that all their necessities have been covered and all the money that they've collected they've truly spent on research and investigation investigating the subject and mm-hmm. Phil class was out to his uh, house uh, many many years ago and actually told Ray he says you know you're on something here but you're onto something but I'll never tell anybody As a matter yeah. of fact, there was a story that he told us that Phil Class tried to get him on a boat all by himself, and Ray wouldn't go because he felt he felt that was a little bit unusual. <laughs> Why do we need to go out in the Potomac on a boat, just you and me? He so said, no for thanks. people who don't know, Phil Class was a, a famous debunker, and so uh, we we don't have any evidence of him ever trying to uh, attempt to murder someone. But uh, <laughs> Ray, I guess, was probably afraid for his life. I'm sure. For many, oh. many times, he's got many stories of of some 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 kind of attempts yeah. on his life in the past, which were interesting. Well, I want to get into Socorro uh, some more, but before that, I want to get into you two and uh, more about you all. So um, maybe we could start with Ben. Uh, what got you into this topic, and when did you start your investigations? Um, I was into it as a kid because I, you know, I was, I'm a big comic book collector and I'd go and see these UFO magazines and grab them. And, and then when I was probably, I think eight, I saw, I saw the, um, Walter Cronkite special with my dad about UFOs because they used to talk about it a lot more on, on mainstream media. Of course, there were only three channels then. But then I started investigating with MUFON in the early 90s and, um, you know, then became chief investigator, and you know, it's just always fascinated me. And um, back in the day, you know, way before the internet or anything, the only the only thing I could hear about was when I'd go to the comic book store and grab all the magazines and look at all the neat pictures from, you know, all over the world that they had. I can't remember the name of the magazine. I'm sure it's long defunct, but you know, just was as a kid a fan of Star Trek. It just fascinated me, and I've been hooked ever since. Mm-hmm. And what was your, or is, I, I come to think that you're retired, but maybe I'm wrong. Uh, no, what was not your that career? old yet. <laughs> oh, okay. I, uh, I'm in the um, the internet space. I sell uh, high-speed fiber and cloud-based uh, services like voice over IP. And okay. So I've been working in the internet since the early 90s. Mm-hmm. Cool. And then, uh, and then you went on and you were on uh, the Hangar 1 television show. Yeah, we actually were on season two. We we hear that season three is is in limbo. But while mm-hmm. we were in Orlando, um, um, we got contacted by Discovery Channel. And they met us there, and we filmed some episodes for uh, NASA's Unexplained Files. And then they liked what they saw, and they're going to invite us back to uh, I think Texas to get on talk some more. Because I asked them why they didn't have any real researchers on the show, and I guess maybe they responded to that. Mm-hmm. So, Tony, I guess that uh, you – I know you have a, a, a technical background, an internet background as well. Um, what got you into this topic? 
Yeah, I um, I my story that I that I normally tell people is I started uh, researching with MUFON in the '90s, but I need to um, amend that because I recently found some old uh, drawings that I did when I was five years old, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I and about the age of eight I wrote a story that included some UFOs. <laughs> so I thought, oh, so I knew about UFOs when I was a little bit younger, but. Mm. Uh, uh, no, I've been with MUFON since the 90s investigating, and I met Ben uh, about four or five years ago at a networking event, which, uh, because, you know, when family happens and life takes over, you kind of put certain things on the back burner, and that's kind of what happened with mm-hmm. UFO investigations in the early, during, between the 90s and on 2005. Then meeting Ben, we got, kind of got reignited, and we just kind of went crazy with it, and we started doing a lot of investigations together and just kind of uh, helping uh, MUFON Virginia get back on track with cases and everything else. Mm-hmm. And then we went to the uh, symposium in uh, Cherry Hill, uh, New Jersey, which is where we met Paul Villadolid. And next thing you know, we um, tried out for Hangar 1, and here we are. Mm-hmm. And so was that an IT networking event? Yeah, it was, because I do uh, network administration and IT security, and that's where I met Ben, and I need and I had a client that needed his services. And so we kind of hit it off that way, and... Somehow I always end up talking about UFOs or Ben talks about <laughs> UFOs and it's just I remember I remember Ben's expression. He said to me, he just like, took a step back after I said something and he says, Well, you know I'm the chief field investigator of Virginia and I said, No, absolutely I did not. <laughs> wow. So we started talking about that for a little while and Yeah, the Cherry Hill thing was the two thousand fourteen symposium. Uh-huh. Cool. That's funny because uh you know, I I know how it is and I, I worked in the tech field also, uh and in particular there was a data center I worked at, and I just got the job. And I don't like bringing the whole UFO things into it, especially because I, I was managing people and stuff, you know. So I was sticking away from it. But then they found out. It's kind of a funny story, and and it's, I, you know, you, it's kind of weird when that happens. And then finally, sometimes people know each other for years before they find out that they have this mutual interest. You know, one uh, one recent story that comes to mind since you mentioned that, and because I try to do the opposite, I try to mention UFOs rather than not. <laughs> that's that's cool. That's brave. <laughs> but I was uh, off the coast of St. Martin uh, scuba diving uh, a few months ago, and I just, you know, again, I just somehow get on the subject of talking about, you know, either Hangar 1 or UFOs or MUFON and whatnot, and this guy on the boat says, wait a minute, you're into UFOs? I says, yeah. He goes, does the name Ramey ring a bell? I said, yeah, Roger Ramey, uh, Roswell. He goes, my name is Seth Ramey. That was my grandfather. Wow. And I said, no kidding. And he goes, yeah. He goes, he started telling me various stories, and he said, there's some things he can't tell me right now, and he has to you know, find out what he's allowed to tell me because his grandfather told him a lot of interesting stories, and I'm trying to write an article for it for the MUFON Journal, and I'm still waiting for him to get back with me on some of these stories. But one thing he did mention was when he was a toddler, his father met with Fidel Castro, and he was, I guess, babysitting him or what have you. But at some point, he ended up on Fidel Castro's knee. And wow. there was a photograph taken, apparently. And I'm trying to get that photograph to put it in the journal with my article. How cool. And uh, for people who aren't up to speed, you know, Roger Ramey was the guy who uh, was in charge who, when he put out the press release that debunked, essentially, the mm-hmm. Roswell event when it happened and said it was a weather balloon, which... Uh, it wasn't, and the Air Force admitted years later it wasn't a weather balloon, and so he pretty much started the the cover up That's when right. it came to Roswell. Ramey empties Roswell saucer. I remember that article. Yeah, exactly. So cool, really cool. 
So uh, let's get into then Socorro because you guys are really focused on this lately and that's what you talked about at the symposium. And maybe in a nutshell, as much as you can, if you can kind of give a highlight of uh, for people who may not know what that event was, uh, what it was. Um, yeah, um, real quick about that. Uh, Lonnie Zamora was a police officer in Socorro, New Mexico. He was uh, basically on random patrol one day. April uh, 24th, 1964, um, around 5.35, 45, when he saw a speeder go by, and he starts chasing the speeder. And in doing so, he sees this ellipsoidal object with a blue flame coming across the road. So he abandons the speeder. He turns his car off the road to uh, pursue this object, which he at first thinks it might be a plane coming down or something like this. At about 150 feet, his car gets stuck, and he pauses for a moment. He looks out his window, and he sees what appears to be like an overturned vehicle, maybe an overturned car. He's really not quite sure, but he sees two figures in white coveralls. And again, he's about 150 feet away, and he puts his car back in drive. He keeps struggling to get his car closer. And when he finally reaches about a 50-foot distance from this object, and he proceeds to get out of his car... He no longer sees the figures, but he hears uh, like two doors slamming, kind of like in a tank. And then he approaches this um, this object. Then suddenly, this blue flame comes comes underneath it. A loud roar. He thinks it's going to explode. And incidentally, he also thought that maybe the loud roar uh, previously might have been the dynamite shack, you know, exploding because there is a dynamite shack out there, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But anyways, this object begins to lift off the ground to about 20 feet. Then Lonnie hits the ground prone with his head turned to the right as he learned in the military, again, thinking this thing was going to explode. When it doesn't explode, he realizes that the sound has been completely silent, kind of like a high-pitched frequency. Then it goes completely silent, traveling uh, towards the perlite, uh, the perlite mill against a 40-mile-an-hour wind. And it was very steady, went against the wind for some distance, increasing in, in speed, and then eventually starts taking off at supersonic speeds uh, at you know, a 45-degree angle or even sharper until it was gone. Mm-hmm. So uh, this case is a really big deal because the military, Blue Book, all came to investigate. Um, and they couldn't come up with an answer. And I think what's most important about this and one of the things uh, of many, and I'm sure you guys will have a much longer list than I would have, uh, is that the head of Blue Book, the last head of Blue Book, Hector Quintanilla, um, who was a skeptic and didn't really believe in any case, he felt this was a genuine mystery and this was the one case that he felt uh, was a, a genuine, you know, possible unknown, uh, which I think is pretty fascinating. Yeah, he, um, I mean, he was determined. It was, it was the case that kind of, I mean, it's the one that pushed Heineck over the edge to form Kufos with others. But um, Hector really, really thought he was going to find an explanation. And so he got top-secret clearance. He said, this thing is in a hangar out at White Sands or, or, or one of these bases near here. So he's granted top-secret clearance. We have all the Blue Book documents verifying this. He went to every hangar. He went everywhere. And the, and the whole point of our presentation was to show that they could never find any company that made the vehicle that had anything flying in the area that had anything close to that tech. And then uh, he had written a private memo to the FBI who, who wanted to keep quiet that they were interested that 
basically was released by a Freedom of Information Act in 1985 saying, look, I, this is, I'm really confused. I never found an explanation. I believe that Lonnie saw what he said he saw, but I never found anything uh, that man-made that tied into what that vehicle was. Mm-hmm. And uh, if the technology it exhibited uh, and that he described, which um, I don't believe anybody felt he was lying, uh, anybody who looked into this uh, thoroughly, is still doesn't seem to be something that exists to this day. Yeah, that's why we showed. Uh, I don't know if you saw our video of the mm-hmm. exploding 2010. <laughs> yeah, that was great because that was supposed to land on you know comets and things. Um, yeah, the the whole point was that the the whole hoax scenarios is easily dismissed mm-hmm. because we've been on site and Lieutenant Holder with the clip we showed. You know, they scoured the site for evidence of fraud. Um, there were no footprints or anything. And even years later, he said, "Look, I believe Lonnie saw what he said he saw. I have no idea what it was." Hector had no idea. The, the White House was telling them, look, let's call it a hoax. Menzel was saying, can we call it a hoax? And Heineck was going, a hoax doesn't radiate film, put four holes in the ground, and burn a creosite bush in half. And there were other witnesses. Uh, Sergeant Chavez probably saw the vehicle leaving, and we found that the officers had seen this object before and after. There was actually another landing, but they would never, ever talk about it, only among themselves, because they saw the way that Lonnie was treated, and they hated the Air Force. They hated Blue Book. Um, they liked Ray, it's, except Chavez, who you know, didn't want anybody to bother Lonnie anymore. But um, this was not a one-off. This occurred multiple times, and then you know there was a pilot that we found out that had seen this in the air and saw the same symbol, the inverted V with three bars through it. Mm-hmm. Also, let's not forget, this ruined Lonnie's life, because he ended up quitting his job in the police force and just... Managing a gas station. Really? I wish it had never happened. They all said, man, I'll never talk about it again. That's why these other officers, there was a landing near the canal in Socorro, and uh, apparently these things were flying around a lot in this time frame, but they would never, ever talk about it because they didn't want to go through what Lonnie went through. And Lonnie actually stopped talking about the two figures he had seen because the Air Force told him to, and you know the whole thing with the obscuring of the symbol they clamped down on him pretty hard. His wife, you could tell, was really upset with the whole thing, and it's a shame that you know he didn't. He he died in two thousand nine, not knowing that you know all the new information that's out there that proves this was a real case. Plus, you can hear it in his voice that recording that we played in our presentation, where uh, Walter Schroeder from KSRC asks him about the the symbol, and you can hear the trembling in Lonnie's voice. He says, um, "I can't talk about that. They they told me not to talk about that." However, Walter Schrode and everyone else in town already knew what the real symbol was because Lonnie reported it in Spanish back to dispatch. The moment he saw it, he was only 35 feet away from the, from the object with a clear view of the symbol. And he reported it uh, on the radio as soon as he could, and he, and he made a, a drawing of it on a napkin um, right away. And you'll see Heineck re- recreated it, Project Blue Book recreated it in many of the documents. Uh, and just everyone mentioned, you know, inverted V with three lines through it. So, yeah, let's get into that. First of all, this was 1960, was it 64? Yeah. And uh, Socorro, Mexico, it was in the summer, correct? Uh, No, April 24th. Okay, April 24th. Um, So, yeah, one of the things you saw on this craft was uh, a sign, uh, a symbol. And uh, 
the symbol that got out there, which is kind of funny because for years, if not decades, people had, you know, speculated around the symbol and what it meant and all of these legends and mythologies had popped up around this symbol. But it's only recently, I believe, uh, that, you know, Ray came out and said, actually, that was not the real symbol. Um, that yeah, we helped, mm-hmm. we helped them, cr- uh, like uh, some of our friends that um, um, – I can't remember the name, Frank Warren at his site, you know, we corrected the symbol there. The the thing is, there are a lot of people, there are a lot of anti-Ray people out there that said he made up the symbol, but before Ray ever got on site, uh, four different newspapers, including um, Albuquerque newspaper, had reported the inverted V with the three bars, and we have those newspaper copies. Also, in the Blue Book files, they clearly draw an inverted V with three bars, um, Heineck drew an inverted V with three bars in the National Archives when Ray and James Fox went there to to pull the original letter. So the inverted V was three bars. Walter Schrode knew that um, two days after the incident. He asked Heineck, can he talk about it? Heineck talked about it. And while he was talking to the press, um, uh, Lonnie was getting grilled by the FBI. And then the next interview, which is probably 10 minutes later, so, he asked the same question to Lonnie. And Lonnie goes, uh, no, I can't talk about it. Hmm. So they hadn't clamped down on Heineck. He talked about it. And then Lonnie said, I can't talk about it. And so they made up the fake symbol so that if anybody else reported this same UFO and gave the symbol they made up, they would knew, know that they were not telling the truth. Mm-hmm. And – you know, I felt when I first when I heard about it, I was a little skeptical because, you know, we've heard about this other symbol for years. But when I read Ray's story, he his evidence was undeniable. I thought he did a great job of demonstrating uh, via all of these files and everything you guys are talking about that. Indeed, that was not the real symbol that we you know, the symbol we had come to know was not the real one. And uh, I even forget, what did the old one, uh, the original one, look like? I think an inverted U. Yeah, it had like an arch and it had like an arrow. An arrow and an arch and another squiggly underneath it. Mm-hmm. And you guys have probably seen some of the interesting ideas people have built up around that symbol. Oh, everybody. You know, it's interesting. Um, as important and not important as the symbol is, in my opinion, it just uh, shows just how much the Air Force will go go to to either cover something up or obfuscate something uh to me the most important uh elements of this case are the is the physical evidence from which we can talk about the the broken rock that had scrapings from the landing pads to the indentions and the creosite bush or the greasewood bush that was sliced in half you know at great temperatures um there's just so much to this case uh from incredible witnesses that are police officers uh to physical evidence that you know to me the the symbol is just a distraction really but you know it, it's more about what the air force you know it tends to do in cases it's, like yeah, this it shows how they muddled the waters by creating that other symbol because the the one that most people point to and say, no, the symbol was the one drawn on this corner of a newspaper. But if you, you know, if you have handwriting, handwriting analysis have looked at that, um, Lonnie signed the piece of paper, but don't think he drew the symbol or anything else on there. When he originally said it in Spanish, in El Vido, I can't remember the statement. Ray knows it by heart. But he described in Spanish, inverted V with three bars through it. Um, that could have meant anything, you know, from don't stand here danger radiation thruster or you know it could be their national symbol or it could be anything we'd have no idea what what the symbol could mean Mm -hmm. now the entities or these two um you know 
ob people or whatever they were near the craft. Uh, how did he describe what they were wearing, and have you heard of any other examples? Um, yeah, Lonnie, yeah, Lonnie described it as uh, as two uh, things. two two things in white coveralls. He was very clear about that. We played the recording also that he recorded with Walter Schrode, you know, shortly after the event. Um, and you know, he's very careful about how he described things. He wanted to make sure that people didn't, you know, quote him as saying that they were children or people. You know, he just says that there were these, you know, two figures in white coveralls. He wasn't sure what they were, but he didn't want to say that. You know what he, in his opinion, what he, what it could possibly be. And they were standing next to a five foot bush, and were not as tall as the bush. Wow! So they were little, little people. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it does seem a bit, uh, which I don't think is a bad thing. I think there are a lot of the most credible cases, um, the descriptions of the entities involved are are unique, are yeah. not so much similar to other sightings. Um, and that kind of seems to be the case in this 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 sighting. Yeah, you also mentioned if other people reported something similar, and there have been reports from all over the world, French, France, Italy, Germany, hmm. you know, on, on the uh, over in Europe, and then also in the United States, there were other other sightings and multiple reports of the same thing that just either you know didn't get reported around the same time or just didn't get a whole lot of attention for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Now. Uh, there's a couple of the – there's two in particular hoax theories that are out there um, that – and to be honest, I, I mean I've never felt that they described the situation very closely uh, if you look at all the evidence. Um, but one of them being that – and this is a more recent one – that there was burnt cardboard found near the site and that it was some local college students who essentially were getting back at Lonnie for harassing them uh, essentially and uh, that they what had built a cardboard UFO that they blew up or something like that <laughs> yeah we, we we touched briefly on uh, the gentleman's what was the guy's name again um, was that Bregalia no Bregalia uh, harped on it but it was um, uh, um, uh, I can't remember the guy's name but what he said in a letter was that it was probably college students that wanted to get back at Lonnie and that started the whole thing he had no proof when we were in Socorro we asked to see because we had gotten permission to be on the landing site we asked to see the two guys that said they hosted uh, neither one of them would talk to us one had fled town one was in the hospital but if you go to the site I mean you have you have over 11 witnesses visually and, and through auditory there would have to be a lot of people in on this. First of all, there was a front coming in, so no balloon or any device made by college students could go off into a 40-mile-an-hour wind. Plus, there were no footprints there. There was no pyrotechnics. Um, Lieutenant Holder was very clear that they searched the area for a hoax. Chavez actually looked in Lonnie's car to see if he could find any kerosene or anything, which is a little unknown story. But <laughs> there was nowhere to hide. There was no way to actually... Um, create this scenario where other people heard the roar, where several other police officers saw it. This whole thing was just a, a supposition by this gentleman that said, well, it was probably college students. Um, but if you've been on site, and we did show a video, there's nowhere to hide, and there's no way to coordinate this whole thing because other witnesses saw the crap. Mm-hmm. 
coming towards Socorro, and the two guys in the car saw the craft leaving. Socorro. Oh, you're talking about Keys and Craster. Uh, Keys and Craster, yeah. Um, but also, to address what you said, Alejandro, about the, the burnt cardboard and paper, Ray uh, collected this uh, burnt evidence with Dr. Hynek at the time. They also had it analyzed, and you know there was nothing uh, exotic about the burnt material. Plus, even when we were on site, we noticed it's kind of a party site where young people tend to break bottles and, and, and have campfires and burn stuff like this. And it's very possible that that's yeah, more likely what it was. If you look at the original black and white videos that we shot, there's that, nothing there. There's, yeah, yeah that's. I mean, it was. Uh, well, the the current stuff shows that there's nothing there, but you can see there's a lot of debris. Like yeah, the, the tourists trampled it, but it's in the depression where uh, a lot of things end up there just because the right. wind brings them through there. But the, the at the time there was no. There was old paper, but there was no cardboard or, you know, there was a piece of paper that had a strange burn on it, as if from above. But, you know, once again, Lieutenant Holder went through and said, we found no evidence of kerosene or gasoline or any type of propellant. We found no pyrotechnics. We found no footprints. You know, there had to be a ton of footprints if somebody was actually working a hoax on this. That's right. So there's just there's absolutely zero evidence for a hoax. Plus the two guys that said they did it probably just to become famous won't talk to anybody. Mm-hmm. Now I've been to the area. I've been to the memorial. That's kind of on the side of the wash um, that I'm sure yeah. you guys are very familiar with. Uh, is that very close to the spot? It's about maybe. Small, I think. I don't know if it's mile, but maybe close to it. But okay. uh, even while we were there, we noticed that we had to clear the tumbleweeds out of the way just to see it because it's not very well, you know, it's not kept up very well. Yeah, it's not yeah. advertised. It's, you know, the whole theory about them trying to bring tourists there. I mean, the mayor didn't own the property. There was nothing built. to They don't advertise. They don't have the, you know, Socorro. Socorro Day. Yeah, right. Socorro Day. Like, yeah. And I think that was uh, classes. The yeah. other hoax theory that I wanted to bring up, which I think Class said they were just trying – it was just a publicity stunt um, right. orchestrated by the mayor's office or something like that, um, which also, like you said, seems ridiculous because it didn't work at all. Um, it could yeah, have right. if they wanted to, but uh, they could have started having a festival and all of this stuff. Even Kelly Hopkinsville has a festival every year. <laughs> right, you know? and yeah, that's what they, they would did, have yeah. done. Yeah, they never did anything. They never tried to promote it. They never got, you know, it made people's lives miserable, which is just the opposite effect you would want to do with a hoax. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the funny thing is it's, uh, you know, I go to Roswell pretty much every year and have for, for quite a few years. And luckily I don't have to drive anymore or else I wouldn't do it because it's such a long drive. But I get to go by the, um, you know, the satellite, the large satellite array and yep. through Socorro and then White Sand. So I always stop off at all of these places for, for years. But uh, you're right. I mean, it's it's like kind of in the at this shady area, the, the monument, and um, it's it's off the street. There's no signs to it. No. Um, you've got – I had to follow, you know, directions online, and, and essentially it was only a few blocks from our hotel – but you wouldn't know it, and the whole time you're going there, you're like, this can't be right, this can't be right, this can't be right. And all of a sudden, on the side of the road, near some, you know, kind of a, a an unkept area altogether, um, you see this, what is a very pretty picture and a very nice. I, I tweeted it, and I vined it, and I think it's on my Facebook, people can see it. But you guys have it on, 
out there too. Yeah, um, it almost <laughs> looks like um, what you normally see, uh, like a water sewage cement drainage mm. site, if you will. You know, because it's kind of like a wall of cement. And uh, when I first saw it, saw it, I almost was kind of looking for a tunnel, like a rainwater tunnel under it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was covered with tumbleweeds. We had to yeah. clear it out just to get a picture. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's funny because when we contacted the El Defensor chief and editor to get permission to be on the site, he had a hard time finding the site. Yeah. Yeah. I don't yeah. Know, did you actually make it to the site, Alejandro, where the... No. Because I, I wasn't sure where the site was, so yeah. I made it's it to that to monument. But we that weren't was sure either. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you got to watch out for rattlers. And what's interesting that you touched on, when we, we flew into Socorro to drive down to your great event in Scottsdale. Thank you. You know, in February, you passed through Detal and Magdalena, where all kinds of mm-hmm. UFO incidents have happened, including supposed crashes. And when we stopped to get gas or pick up you know, beer, we weren't drinking in the car, but... <laughs> no, we weren't um, drinking at all. Yeah, the, the uh, everybody was, you know, said, "Do you ever see anything unusual out here?" And everybody said, "Man, we get tired of talking about it. This stuff mm-hmm. flying around all the time, and it's such a rich, rich UFO history going down 60 West mm-hmm. towards uh, Scottsdale from Socorro. It's just a lot of things have happened around there. Yeah, yeah, a lot, and it, it's just a very mysterious area. White Sands is just incredible. I, I mean, I love that area too. It just feels um, different, uh, but so we actually photographed something when we were going. Oh, really? Yeah, Tony, Tony. Yeah, it seemed uh, Ben was driving, um, and uh, I noticed something out the window, and I rolled the window down. So I, I always, you know, talking to Mark D'Antonio, first question he asks you is, uh, "Were you shooting through a window?" So yeah. we always make sure we bring that window down, and we were shooting with a Nikon 35 millimeter. Uh, with a 50 uh, millimeter focal length, uh, shooting in raw format to capture as many pixels as possible. And it's this bright object uh, going through the clouds, and we snapped about seven photographs of it, and it seemed to be displaying some sort of you know plasma aura, and as it changed uh, shape wow. and direction, it was really interesting. It was, yeah, it was white with a red dome or light on top. It had you know the signs of what usually we feel like is a real anomaly. It has... Uh, purple and green plasma discharges around it and um, was moving fairly quick. It was pretty far away, but we captured, I think, 10 pictures of it. And um, I know um, Robert Powell, uh, the science guy at MUFON, looked at it and said, man, that's pretty interesting. We just haven't gotten into great detail on that because we're so busy with a lot of other things. Mm-hmm. Do you have those pictures up anywhere? Um, oh, no, we should probably we put should them probably, on our MUFON site. Yeah, we've yeah. been holding off because we wanted to get more opinions, but we might put it up on our website. If you go to www.mufonva sometime uh, by next week, I'll try yeah, to get them up we'll there. So I'll go out of town tomorrow. Because we'd rather have people have at it, you know, do yeah. their own analysis. Because the, the good thing about us looking for our own evidence is if we took it, we don't have to figure out if it was a hoax or not. You know, right. because with all reports, we got to first figure out, all right, is this a misidentification, a natural event, or are they lying to us? Mm-hmm. So if we catch our own photos, we can start knowing that we photographed this, and we got to see what it is and make sure we're not misidentifying something. Wow. So was this either of yours first sighting? Um, I don't know. It's hard to say because we photograph a lot of stuff that we're, ne- we're really not sure about. Gotcha. So um, in some ways, maybe yes, but well, in some ways, maybe no. I've, yeah. had, I've had three things that I've seen. I had, when I was in Key West, 
years and years ago, I saw what looked like a shooting star, but it stopped. Another shooting star. You know, the shooting star, if you blink, you miss it, the, mm-hmm. how fast they move. But when this thing came, the other one caught up to it, and then they uh, took a right-angle turn. Wow. First real sighting. My shooting second, stars always do that. Yeah. My <laughs> second sighting was uh, in college, and I think this is military, but we were at a keg party, and some type of whistling sound was starting to get louder and louder and I looked up and a hundred of us saw this and there was a missile with all kinds of flaps and fins on it that was losing altitude. Holy crap. Was, yeah, I think it was a cruise missile prototype because this is way back. I'm not going to wow. tell you. But it, it, and it started with afterburners and increased speed and flew, you know, this is in the Blue Ridge Mountains and the third thing I saw was during a thunderstorm and I still don't know if it was um, you know, ball lightning which is really unusual but I saw Two tracks come out of one cloud, go into another cloud that were purple. Then two balls followed the tracks from one cloud to another cloud with a whooshing sound. Huh. And my roommate and I both saw it. Purple, you know, it's just really weird. But if you've ever seen ball lightning, it could have been that. But I'm not sure because of the tracks that showed up in front of it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, see, and that's what's great. I think that, you know... Um the way you all look at stuff and analyze things, and like you said, Tony, because I feel the same way, you know, they could have been, uh, but who knows, uh, Is it just shows that, you know, you're researching and you're not, whereas we both, we all three know that there are people who will see something like that, or often they do, they are something mundane, but they create in their mind this whole idea about... Oh, well, sure, they create a know. whole backstory behind right. it. And, it's the uh, aliens, it's the right. hybrids. Yeah. And we don't ever like to say, until one of these things land and gets out and says, by the way, I'm from Mork from Mork, <laughs> I, you know, I'm not going to sit there and speculate that they are. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> it could be anything. I, you know, we don't even know if... Um, even if they told me that, i say, like, prove it. <laughs> yeah. We don't know if Socorro was an E.T. event, but we don't think it was a human event, but, right. you know... We don't know, know what it was. The universe is, is pretty strange. Well, Very getting strange. back to the Socorro and the Mork from Orc, funny enough, is that the, that's what's weird about this case, too, is it's so credible. Um, however, the object is egg-shaped, uh, almost, and the and it had these landing pads with little pads on the bottom that seem, uh, you know, not completely foreign to uh, our sort of technology, um, at least, you know, the legs of the lunar lander, for in- instance, were similar, although it certainly couldn't do all those things that this thing can do. What have you guys thought about that, or what does Ray think about that? Um, well, one thing uh, Ray mentioned um, about a year ago when we were with him on podcast UFO with Martin Willis was that Ray uh, discovered that he had a photograph that he hadn't seen in a very long time, and the photograph that was, I guess, followed for Project Blue Book had these uh, what appeared to be somewhat like bug-looking things that were in the photograph. They airbrushed them out. Then when Ray looked at the original photograph and used a uh, a magnifying glass, he could clearly see that what they airbrushed out was an egg-shaped craft or ellipsoidal object with four landing legs down, deployed. And then to the right of it, further in the distance, was another ellipsoidal object. And even further back by by uh, by the mountains past the Perlite Mill, were two even larger objects. 
So after he realizes he had some scientists at Goddard take a look at the first object that was the closest to the camera, determined that it was about 0.6 miles away from the camera, measured the distance of these legs or landing pads and matched them to what was on the ground at Socorro, and he concluded that it very much was the exact same object uh, by doing the calculating the minutes of arc and the distance between the pads to what landed on the ground and that the other objects were more like two miles away in the distance. And there's actually even uh, one other craft uh, farther off in the photograph that was flat as a pancake, undeterminate size, but it looks very large. Yeah, the, the whole thing about the struts and the, the fact that maybe a ladder had come out because there were indentations, we've had people ask us about that. One gentleman asked us at the symposium, but, you know, you just don't know how uh, another culture or whatever this thing was developed. You know, they had mm-hmm. a, an exotic engine, just like we do. We have one engine to get us to the moon, another one that lands us and brings us back to a, what, a mothership, which is, the, you know, the lander goes up to the ship mm-hmm. that got them there. The same thing here. It could have been a bigger ship to scourge these smaller objects. But, you know, if they're – if it's a – if it's, say it's a civilization, if they're 500 years ahead of us, they might have ladders and struts. If they're 10,000 years ahead of us, maybe not. But I mean, I tend to joke about the ladder thing not being technologically advanced enough. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we try, we tend to judge by our own human standards because that's mm-hmm. all that we know. Might not have been a ladder. Right. Yeah. Yeah. right. <laughs> well, and, you know, to your point, uh, that video you showed of kind of a lander, I think it, it, they're making it to go to Mars, a recent test where it kind of – uh, it's supposed to lift up and kind of move around, but it kind of flopped over and exploded. So it's like a central uh, propellant. Uh, yeah, it's mm-hmm. still propellant. It's not a knifing right. flame that right. created a very short half-life of radiation. And it exploded in grand fashion. I yeah. mean, that, that the explosion was amazing because of the propellant. But it didn't look much different than the moon landers. So. Even we, because it's, the leg system works, we haven't changed that look either. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's so many things about that that, I mean, there's nothing like it today. Even in 60, even today, that thing in 64 would still be, have some amazing properties to it. And, mm-hmm. you know, the I know that Don Berlinger did a study, and we're going to see him soon, um, at Mysteries of Sky and Space, but... You know, there's not a lot of radioactive materials that have a half-life of hours. And this thing, fog film the day of and the day after, there was no radiation detected. So you're talking about some type of really exotic non-propellant that knifed into the ground, didn't really blow a lat of dust around. Um, Perhaps some kind of subatomic particles, particle you know, it, it, discharge. It's all speculation, but the, the way this thing operated, and then for it to cut off and, and travel silently away means it has two different modes of Propulsion, one to land and one to really take off and maybe move into space. Mm-hmm. So we didn't get I, – I did want to get into more of the physical um, evidence. However, we're kind of running out of time. Um, so maybe we'll just save that for another time. It would be great to have you guys back and talk about that and some yeah. other things. The three-hour presentation all together. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So – but before we are yeah, done with it, what I would like to talk about is kind of promote what are you guys up to next? Where are you speaking next? Where can people see you next? We're going to be at Mysteries of Sky and Space just as guests. Uh, and we're also going to North Carolina. Going to North Carolina to move on with uh, Nick Redfern will be there, Tom Reed, um, yeah, and Travis Walton will be on there. We will be on some upcoming episodes of NASA's 
uh, unexplained, unexplained files, files, which are really nice. You know, they have that's a pretty well done show as opposed mm-hmm. to other shows I won't mention. Right, but, and I, I, I like the NASA show. Yeah, yeah. We, and we, you know, we've got jobs and all. I, I tell people, and it's getting old for me to say it, but if you get into UFOs and become rich and famous, you're going to be poor and unknown. Um, <laughs> we just want to find the. I'm truth. supposed to be at work right now. Yeah, it's, it's, I start a new job a week from Monday, but it's uh, it's tough to find the time because we, we mm-hmm. have to do all the cases locally. Uh, we've had a lot of triangles in Virginia, but I'm pretty sure those are probably Mention military. Mention the Shenandoah Black UFOs. Yeah, we found the gentleman. Um, it's funny, we, we go shooting out at a guy's range in Shenandoah, um, and he mentioned that we met somebody out there who was a political figure. We can't mention him, but he told mm-hmm. us about a UFO that they saw wow. in Korea during the Korean War, and then another gentleman said, oh, yeah, my neighbor says these black objects, every time it rains, these black objects are flying around in the mist between the mountains. I'm like, okay, we got to go out there and <laughs> set wow. that up, because that's a good two hours away, but um, there's a lot happening in this area, definitely. Yeah, well, and that's the issue, you know, is that there's so much, there really is so much going on. Uh, when I was doing with PR with MUFON, especially everybody would, people would ask, why doesn't MUFON do that? My, why doesn't MUFON do this? They've got all these investigators. But these people have jobs, you know. Right. They're, they're busy themselves, and there's so much to look into exactly. that that's why it gets hard to, like, hard for me to get to raise or here or there oh, or, yeah. or elsewhere. Well, not to mention, you need to buy equipment, too. It's like we still need, right. a, we need magnetometers, we need better cameras, we need all kinds of stuff. Yeah, if, we, if somebody wanted to syndicate a show, we, we have an idea for a show, um, but it, if we had the equipment, we could go to places where we could find these things and film them. I, you know, there's mm-hmm. so many hot spots. Four Corners area, definitely. Shenandoah, definitely, you know. Uh, New Mexico is full of these. It's like our friend Jeremy Ray from Hangar One said that they're out there all the time. And like Ray says, don't look for them at night where you don't get that much data. They're out there in the daytime, especially at dusk and dawn when the light is polarized. That's a great plug. Definitely do it at, at dusk because of the polarized light. That's when we shot the UFO when we were driving through Magdalena that we're going to post up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get a much better image, and because of the setting sun, you, you don't get these artifacts because. I'm sure you've seen every time somebody takes a picture facing the sun, they go, I got a UFO. And you're like, that's a lens flare, man. Yeah. So MUFONVA.com is where they can go find more of your stuff and see these pictures here soon. Yeah, and all our interviews. And, um, you know, we're just glad to talk about it. We hopefully are going to get some hard evidence and maybe help, uh, you know, talk Ray into releasing more things. Um, So, you know, there's a lot to come. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we'll keep an eye on it, and we'll definitely have you guys back. Uh, this has been a ton of fun. Um, so thank you guys so much for taking the time to come talk to me. Thank I appreciate you. it. Thanks for reaching out. It's good to see you in um, Orlando. Yeah, of- you too. And we'll see you in February. You're planning on coming out to the UFO Congress. Awesome. I always get so excited to hear when people say that. So that's very cool. All right. See you guys soon. All right, sir. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much to Tony and Ben for being on the show. Uh, This is an amazing case, as you can hear. Uh, You know, I'm not sure. Some of you probably weren't familiar with the case, and some of you probably were, but still did not know all of this. Now, if you did all know all of this, uh, who are you working for? How did you know? Just kidding. You probably heard these guys speak before, like if you saw them at MUFON. But yeah, what an amazing case. Really cool, interesting stuff. Um, One of the best cases out there. 
And uh, it's really cool that these guys are doing this research and uh, working with Ray uh, to get this information out because it's important to get out. So you can get, you know, I know I was talking a lot about my MUFON lecture at the beginning of the show, but you can get both of our lectures at the MUFON site. So just MUFON.com, check that out. And uh, so you can talk, see more about what all of us were talking about. It was a lot of fun. And uh, these guys were great. So we'll definitely have them on again because I had so many more questions, but I really wanted to get into all of those things we talked about. And there's so much to this case that, uh, you know, as you heard, there's there's a lot to talk about. And that just relates to other cases. And that's what's fun with these guys because they're uh, actually researchers. So uh, you can talk to them about how, you know, the, their work on the Lonnie Zamora case or the Socorro case, they call it also, you know, uh, relates to other aspects of this field and other cases, other great cases. So speaking of great cases and conferences, I got to remind you guys that this weekend, uh, October 1st is the official deadline for the super early bird uh, tickets for the UFO Congress. So if you want to get UFO Congress tickets at the cheapest that they're ever going to be, then you've got to go do that right now. Right now. Well, wait till the show's over and then do it or put me on pause and go ahead and do it because the tickets are drastically, you know, they're, they're greatly discounted. So you could get the tickets at the cheapest price if you order them now. So go get your tickets why get tickets? Come on. Do you have to ask? It's it's the Guinness World Record winning largest conference. But more than that, it's the speaker, speakers that we have. So you guys will recognize a lot of our speakers because you listen to my show. However, some of these speakers are people I haven't had on the show before. And some of them are going to be t- speaking about topics Uh, There's some of your favorites that have been on my show, but they're going to be speaking about topics you haven't heard them speak about before. So here's some exciting uh, examples. I've just posted today uh, the the talks from or a couple of extra people. Uh, Ted Rowe, he works for NARCAP, the um, and NARCAP researches aviation cases. Uh, so they call them UAPs. They like that that word because, uh, you know, they uh, feel that they work with professionals. I mean, they work with mainstream science, uh, with actual pilots. And uh, so they they feel that the term UFO comes with too much baggage. We've probably talked about this before because, of course, many people on the show have talked about NARCAP and how important they are. But Ted Rowe is the executive director, and he will be speaking at our conference. And that is a great honor because they are very particular about where and who they speak with, um, essentially because, you know, they, they want to maintain their credibility. So you'll have to check that out. Also, Colonel Charles Halt, who was one of the witnesses at the Rendlesham Forest, has a new book out. We're going to have two colonels. So we're also going to have Colonel John Alexander, and he's going to be talking about an incredible experience that he has had that is not only UFO, but it's also like new agey and all of this 
wild and crazy stuff so which is really wild for him because a lot of people feel that he's very conservative and he poo-poos a lot of people's uh, ideas in this field and he is conservative about you know what the air force may or may not know however he uh it is coming out in this case to talk about some incredible stuff this way so these are some of the new people we've listed um We've got Noe Torres, who's been on the show, you know, talking about cowboys and aliens. You might remember these incredible cases that we talked about from the 1800s. But he'll be coming to the conference, and he'll be going over more of these because he goes over them more quickly and and in more depth because he doesn't have me asking a bunch of silly questions. He's got it all laid out there. But uh, those are some of the talks. We have most of the talks posted. So you can see almost all of the speakers. We always have those few uh, little surprises for you guys, right? So we still have those. And uh, so we don't have all of the speakers up. Uh, We've got surprises in store. But I think if you go look at the speakers who are listed so far, you'll see that you'll definitely want to be participating in this event. So get your tickets now because they're going to be the cheapest that they'll ever be. And then also reserve rooms in the host hotel because I think they still have a few left. And um, that's like discounted more than half price. It's a typically a very expensive place but it's only like 120 dollars a night 100 bucks a night something like that 120 i think during the conference because um we've got this major discount and you'll see why they're super expensive normally because this hotel if you haven't been there is gorgeous i mean it's it's grade a you know uh class act just a gorgeous place in the middle of the desert and some of you may think how can a desert be beautiful well come out and see and uh, you will see how the desert can be breathtaking it is beautiful there and it's during you know it's in february where if you live in a lot of the country you're going to be freezing your butt off or if you live in like canada or something you're going to be freezing to death so come out to arizona and enjoy our great weather weather's perfect at that time of year you can get in the hot tub you can get in the pool it's just awesome and hang out with uh, ufo people so go check out ufocongress.com and you'll be able to see the speakers there uh lots of really cool stuff and do and you know i'm going to emphasize this one more time because people miss it get your tickets now super early bird and this weekend get your tickets people uh that's about it For today, you know, thank you all uh, who have gone and viewed our Open Minds magazine, the video that we created, uh, episode, essentially issue one of the Open Minds video version of the magazine. Uh, You can find that at YouTube or at openminds.tv. So far, people have really loved it. Uh, We go in-depth and to, you know, the most incredible, I think, Blue Book case out there where Blue Book investigators, Air Force UFO investigators witnessed, you know, a UFOs, jets, chase UFOs, all this craziness. So go check out that video on YouTube or at openminds.tv. All of the stories that we talked about, you can find at openminds.tv. And also remember, you can find Tony and Ben at MUFONVA.com. That's the Virginia MUFON. And I also want to thank Caleb Hanks, who does the opening and close music for us. 
Uh, I think I mentioned this last time, but his brother Micah Hanks, who writes UFO stories and, and other things for people, uh, you know, he wrote a great story for Jim Harold about these kind of mysterious satellites. And, and Jim let us, uh, from Paranormal Podcast, let us uh, repost one of those stories. So check that out at our site as well. But thank you to Caleb Hanks for the opening and close music. You can find more about him on our radio page at openminds.tv. And thank Martin Willis uh, from Podcast UFO for doing the news with us uh, earlier in the show. And finally, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Uh, Join us next week where we'll be back for another show. Uh, So exciting stuff. I know you people were really upset with me for taking some vacation time. Tough. The beach was nice. The sun was beautiful, the waves, the feeling of sand under your feet and, you know, that that uh, salty feel on your hands from just being in the water is just, uh, well, maybe we won't have a show. I feel like going back to the beach. Just kidding. I can't because it's hours away. So I'll be here interviewing somebody about UFOs for your benefit. Thank you all so much for listening. Adios, muchachos.